Welcome to the International Teacher Podcast with your host, Greg, the single guy, and Matt, the family guy. We're recording episodes from around the globe to tell you about the best-kept secret in education. That's right, it's teaching overseas. We're glad to have you. Welcome to the International Teacher Podcast. I am Greg Lemoyne, and I'm your single guy. And together with me again, I think Matt's still golfing from last week or last time we met. It's and Kent. And it's Kent, the cat guy, back with you. I'm so glad that me and the hundred listeners that I bring to the table are all here. I'm sure they're out there going, you know what? You got to listen to this. Kent's back on. No, I think there's less than that. I think we have, like, besides my mom, I think, you know, your wife listens, right? Does she even listen? Well, I listen seven times. Does that count as seven? Oh, it's you one? that keeps listening to the episodes. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, uh, if anybody's listening to this and you see our podcast counts, we have our majority, our 70% comes from just Kent listening to our <laughs> podcast. Whether or not he's on it or not, he listens to them. Time and time again, he memorizes our old podcasts, right? I listen I listen every week. I listen every week. I love the podcast. I love the work that you do, and I'm so excited to be here. I'm sorry that Matt's not here, but pretty soon we'll have a big celebratory podcast where all three of us are here. He's busy. He's taking courses, and you know, that's one thing that a lot of international teachers do is they find time to take either online courses or they take courses to stay abreast of, can I say abreast on You can say abreast on the air. To stay abreast of their qualifications for school, right? So Matt's doing something else outside of school and education, but a lot of teachers, including myself, you go through, you have to keep your education up to date. So therefore, depending on what state you're from, you have to have a certain amount of hours or credits towards your certification for your state and a lot of people do that uh from overseas they they may do it during the summertime when they go home if they go home or they do it online uh i see a lot of that and the last two years have really expanded your online options i know no mi- choice and i know many teachers who do exactly what you're saying they do their Credits they need for their certification for the states back uh, for their home state back in the United States. I also know lots of teachers who study something like library, you know, the, to get an uh, MLS in library in ship or ESL, all sorts of things. Well, a lot of schools, our schools, say that they do PD, and I think that that's, I don't know, that's a whole different bag of maybe it's a whole different discussion. But mm. I think whether or not your your school provides for PD professional development. I think that a lot of teachers go off on their own to get cert- certificates. They do summer program stuff. They do online throughout the year. A lot of people want to get their master's, and there's different people. There's different, excuse me, there's different schools and ways to do that online mm-hmm. more now than ever before. So we'll go, for example, we'll go and teach all week long, and then like Matt, we'll teach all week long, but then you have classes that are at like, you have to meet at least once a week at 3 o'clock in the morning because mm-hmm. it's in a different time zone. Yeah, one of my coworkers woke up at 345, uh, went online at 345 because he was working on his uh, principal certificate. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a wide range of things that are available to people overseas. You don't always have to get your master's before you go overseas. A lot of people don't have master's, right? And they'll go through different programs. Sometimes even the school will host 
one of the school programs to come to their campus mm. and you can get a master's. And I'm only saying that because I know that Framingham does it. What's another one? Sunny or SUNY? Oh, yes. Right from New York, York out mm-hmm. of New York. There's two or three or four different programs and probably more now that are doing it online. But they would actually come to our campus. Mm-hmm. And when I was like when I was in Kuwait, I got my master's degree mm-hmm. in education by joining their face to face, and we did eleven or twelve different like long weekends. Mm. They would come; the professor would come to your school. Yep. And Lehigh, I think, does that also. Lehigh University. Uh, and here, you our our listeners might know that we're here in the Middle East. Uh, Dubai is a place that have attracted a lot of American university satellites, and a lot of times they'll have professors right here in our region that you could go to them, or in some cases they'll come to you. That's well. not They're a bad idea. Yes. And as you get as you're coming into our podcast, you might be listening a little bit later, or not live, of course. But what am I saying? I'm just saying if you're joining our conversation now, which you're not, there. Why do I always say that? Because they're, they're starting our podcast and they're they continue there. the podcast. Well, I think what you're trying to say is they're waiting for us with baby. Or did breath. they zip forward through the first half of the crap? <laughs> 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 did they fast forward to like a meaty point? <laughs> I thought this was the good stuff. <laughs> this is, is this the meat of the act? This is, this is the meat of the act. This is supposed to be the good stuff. <laughs> Don't go zipping past this. All right. So I guess we're talking about education. We're talking about opportunities for teachers overseas. Mm -hmm. So if you leave and you go overseas, there are opportunities. Sometimes it's Mm self-made. Other times you pay for it. I mean, you pay for it. Sometimes the school pays for it. That depends on the school. And that's as wide and broad as opportunity as the schools are themselves, right? Globally. That's right. I guess it feeds right into the fact that if Matt's not here, we know he's studying and he's getting another degree or getting some kind of certificate by joining online stuff. But it was not as popular pre-COVID as it is now. Everybody's doing online stuff. Mm -hmm. I think it's fascinating. But that's one of the things that we do overseas to advance our own degrees. And I guess the main point here is, Kent, you have to stay up on your certification your your teaching certificate because you never know when you're going to want to go home. If family brings you home, if something happens, you need to go home and teach. You want to have certain things still up to date, and certificate is one of those. Well, it's not just not just do you want to be up to date, but you got to stay up to date on the rules. Some states make it difficult for you to keep up with your certificate being overseas. Sometimes they have requirements for you to be in person in the state to do things. So make sure you study up on your state when you're planning to go overseas. Make sure you make a plan for how you're going to renew renew your certificate because I got news for you. That two years or three years or five year uh, life of your certificate goes very quickly. And it's never too soon to start planning to keep it up to date. Well, the other thing is if you, you want to go and recruit, right? Let's say you're recruiting in three years. Your plan, you stay at a school, and you plan that you're going to stay at that school for three or four years above the contract of two years. Mm. Most schools have a two-year contract. Your plan, your life plan is that you're going to stay at that school for three or four years. Most states have their renewal within five years. So if you're there and you reach your renewal and you don't renew your teaching certificate, when it comes time to go into your resume, beef up your resume and look at all your credentials, you go to a job fair, and if you're not up to date, who knows what could happen. Some schools require you specifically to be updated. Mm -hmm. Other schools may not even look or let it go, you know, let it pass up and just have you 
promise that you'll do it when you, you know by next the next summer. Um, but I like to think it, to err on the side of caution always. Uh, I think that's very wise advice, and I think some countries too, some governments, in order to to maintain your residency, might have some rules around your certificate and your professional credentials as well. Or to get your visa, right? Or to get your visa, which allows you to live in that country. You could have a school that might want you, but if the government doesn't let you live in that country because you don't meet certain requirements, uh, you could find yourself out of luck. And this is so funny because we we were talking about the podcast beforehand, <laughs> and our choice for this podcast was a completely different subject, but we just went with it, right? We decided to talk about education and how can that, like, how do we keep on top of the keep on top of the the lingo and keep on top of the. Edu- the most recent education practices and pedagogy that we can and news and things like that. So, yes, besides the International Teacher Podcast, there's a lot of ways that you can keep uh, up to date on your pedagogy and get your certificates and keep make sure that your state certification is maintained, right, for all Essential. those reasons. Many international schools will want you or require you to maintain your certification while you're up at that school. Correct. And you always want to have it for a new school and just in case. Or like so, you said, if you want to go back to the United States and teach, you're going to need that too. Right. But I don't want to do that to you. <laughs> I might one day. We'll see. I might. I uh, have six years. Yeah, in, have uh, we ever talked about that? I, I don't, don't know. I don't think we've ever talked about it. I have six years in, the, um, in my home state, which is Washington State. And to qualify for their pension system, you need to have 10 years in. So maybe one day I'll go put my other four years in. So you mean that you taught for six years already, and you gathered pension with them. Then you left, and you still have... Or you, you've taught for four years. Uh, you need to be there for 10 years in order to be vested in their system. So as oh, of listeners, now... Oh, listen, it's just basic math. Okay, <laughs> so 10 is the maximum to be vested. You yes, already have four I got before six. you left over... Six, I had six years, yep. Like you said, over you have six before you left. Yep. And if you go back, you'll go back to the same school system, hopefully, so that you could put in four mm-hmm. before you're vested. That's correct. All right. Well, see, I've never taught in the States, so I, I did all my training and everything, but I never officially taught in the States. So I, it's strange to me, right? And a lot of teachers go overseas with the idea that they might just go over for the two-year contract, and they might be forgiven and given, like, a, a, a time away from their district. Mm. My I first, don't know how that works. but uh, My first job overseas, I was given leave. Right. From my district in the United States, and they originally granted me two years. And then I wrote to them and said, I'd like to stay a third year. And they said, you can have a third year. And then I returned to them in, my fourth, uh, after, in the fourth year. I returned to their district because my, I was still teaching, employed by that district. And then so I was able to return to it. So do they, I know universities, they call it sabbatical for professors, mm-hmm. right? Is that called sabbatical we for call a it teacher? Leave. In my state, Washington State, we just called it on leave. Are you sure that they didn't just say, Kent, we need you to leave? <laughs> I might have misunderstood them now that I think about it. <laughs> In your case, it's just called leave. Like, leave, Kent. Don't come back. Leave. You know, I would say, I would say to our new teachers out there, if they want to go overseas, don't be shy about asking your district for a possibility of going on leave. Many districts are very uh, understanding and open to that. And they can be very transparent because I've always said, be as transparent as possible mm-hmm. with your current leader, your current principal, superintendent, whoever you're asking for for your your letters of recommendation, you have to be transparent that you are leaving so you can give them, they can be fully aware of it and give you a great recommendation and not be blindsided by the fact that you're going to a job fair 
or someone's asking for a recommendation because it's not always negative, mm. right? But I tell you what, if you're if principals and superintendents would much rather hear it from you first mm-hmm. rather than be surprised that find out that someone's asking them for whether or not they should hire you. I think you want to keep them in the loop because your administrators back in the States play a key role, I believe, in helping you get that job overseas. I think keeping them in the loop is a very If you're back in the States. Otherwise, it's your current principal. Otherwise, it's your current principal overseas. That's correct. Right? Mm -hmm. And I've always held that as a sacred thing. I've always been very transparent. I I Mm -hmm. shouldn't say always. I do have a dark past in one school, but... We don't need to talk about that right now. We can talk about that in a future one. Maybe someone will call in and give us that story. Oh God, a call in! I don't, we <laughs> we saw... need a call. We need some callers. <laughs> let's change. Let's yes. change flavors a little mm-hmm. bit here, and let's change topics. Yes. I want to bring up something here, Kent, that is really super important because they don't always talk about this at job interviews. You don't always find out until the end, and all the questions are out there. But maybe you don't even know to ask about this kind of idea. Let's bring up the topic about arrival in your new country, okay? Now, before we say anything, we need to remind anybody listening that like any other topic, this depends on the school that you go to, in the country that you go to, and it's never the same. But we are giving some insights on what some can expect what you can ask about their onboarding process. I love that word, onboarding. Onboarding, onboarding, the process of arrival. And I think it's sometimes a measure of the quality of a school when you ask them, what is your onboarding process? If they Shazam. have an answer, if they have a system for bringing you in, you know they're prepared for you. If they look at you like they don't know what you're talking about, you might want to ask a few more questions. Shazam. I love the way you brought that up. It is critical for you to be aware that some schools will bring in their new teachers, and upon arrival, upon arrival, even before arrival, there's a lot to talk about. But let's just say you're arriving in country, and you you get to the airport, and in that country, you arrive with your baggage, and what happens next? Now, there's a ton of ways this could go, right? And I just had the greatest conversation. Just last week, I had talked to a teacher, and her first year overseas— She landed in the country, and no one was at the airport. Mm. No one. And I don't even need to say what country, because it could be anywhere. It's happened around the world with Mm -hmm. some schools. It was a very small startup school. Then they got their – something got mixed up with communication. They didn't expect her at that time. Anyway, she shows up at the airport, and there is no one there. And if there's no one there – like, who do you know how to call somebody? I mean, can you... You don't have, you a, don't cell have a cell phone. phone, maybe, that works in that You don't even know yet. how the cabs work, if there are even cabs there. Or the language. You may not even know their language. <laughs> I know the English goes a long way, but that's a drastic move. And I, you know what? I haven't had it happen to me in seven schools. Uh, in my two schools, I haven't. And let's remind our listeners that uh, usually when you're traveling overseas, you've got all your luggage, you're usually arriving at some hour in the middle of the night and morning, midnight, 1.30 in the morning. You're tired. You've been on a plane probably for 10, 12, 15 hours with a layover in the middle. And so you're not in your best form when you hit the ground. So to have to navigate a new country on your own at not peak performance, it can be challenging. 
That's true. Even if you're a seasoned traveler, it could be challenging. Yeah, for all of us. So I guess, Kent, what's one of the questions you'd give um, a school a school recruiter about onboarding process? You know what? The first thing I might say is, hey, would you meet me at the airport? Good question, yeah. Are yeah. you going to actually meet me at the airport? And my first school, I landed at 2 o'clock in the morning. When you fly to the Middle East, almost it seems like every plane lands at 2 in the morning. Don't ask me why. But uh, there they were. You know, the director, the assistant director, the business manager, maybe another teacher. They, um, a good school will have someone there waiting for you at 2 in the morning when you get off that plane, and they're going to walk you through that process as best they can. And at my first school, they uh, met me and got me through the whole process and got me in a van and uh, drove me at 2.30 in the morning straight to a place that they had already set up for me, put food in it put supplies in it, gave me a little bit of money, I don't, uh, and uh, said, well, we'll see you at the school in a couple of days. And they said, when you're ready, call us, we'll give you a ride. Couldn't have been any smoother. Nice. I, I, I think that no matter, hopefully, no matter, hopefully the school that you go to has some kind of a process to minimally make sure that someone's at the airport to get you to your apartment. Yeah. And no matter what, you have a safe place to be, right? Yes, right. Like, unfortunately, there are stories out there where you arrive for different reasons, and that's all about preparation, communication beforehand. But the school should provide, and like you said, ask them, will you be meeting me at the airport? Very good question to start with. Yep. And if they don't, if that person personally is not, they might have some system set up where they will meet you with a bus, and the minibus gets a cohort of you. Mm. Mm-hmm. If you have a, a if it's five or six people arriving, sorry about spitting on you there. No, if there's five <laughs> or six people arriving, hopefully they'll have a mini bus. The mini bus picks all of you up and takes you all to your camp or to your school, and they'll drop you off at your apartment. Hopefully, that's a great way to meet people you're going to work with. What's your next question after you ask them? <laughs> I don't know what else I'd after. I, you I know what my next question is? A bit like, what time do I have to, when do I have to be there? Yes. Like, when well, the school starts like August, let's yes. say August starts August 4th, you know, I'd be like, when am I expected to be there? When does work start? But of course, the answer, <laughs> you know the answer is going to be, uh, we, we don't, you know, it depends on the school. Yeah. But I guarantee yeah. it's got to be at least a week before the kids arrive. The uh, new teachers. Right. Yes. It's at least a week. I mean, bare minimum. Uh, yeah, because be. the orientation uh, for new teachers is definitely, I think, part of that onboarding process. Let's let them know a little bit. So we don't really know the questions. Those two big questions yeah. can be answered, but they're they're dependent on the actual case by case. Yeah, but you won't know unless you ask. You can't just they assume. Should ask that. You can't assume someone's going to meet you at the airport, and don't assume that you'll know what day you need to start work. But here are some of the things that you can look forward to at some of the schools. Yes. And these, after hearing about these, you might ask if they provide this kind of stuff, right? These kinds of things. So let's get into a few things. What are, what are some of the things you mean with orientation, Kent? They pick you up at the airport. Mm. They drop you off at your apartment. And boom, you have a week before school starts. What are some of the things that we can share with our audience about that? Oh, boy. Well, one thing is, is how much work do you need to do to prepare for the students? Uh, is your room set up? Do you have a room? Are there supplies in the room? Is there curriculum in the room waiting for you? I mean, if you have to do all of that work yourself, that week is going to be not enough. But if you have a week to settle in and get your feeling, get your feet on the ground, uh, 
they'll probably teach you about their curriculum. They'll probably talk about the academics at the school. Hopefully, that week, they give you a checklist of how do you get the internet? How do you get a phone? How do you get a SIM card? You know, here's some addresses for grocery stores or grocery markets. You know, just all the small things that we take for granted in the, you know, where we live in the States. You know, you know where to go get aspirin. You know where to go get your food. You know how to get the lights turned on and the, and the SIM card and the cell phone. But you're not going to know all of those things. Well, you jumped right into it. I was thinking more <laughs> along the lines of, um, okay, I land, I land in... I land in Honduras, right? I yes. get they get the minibus and we have a bunch of us sent off to our apartments and we have a week before or so or more before we have to teach. Yeah. But I land in my apartment and that that group actually that school actually gave me a roommate at the time, so it was weird. But um, my roommate and I or maybe he didn't arrive later, but I get into the apartment and it's like, you know, whatever hour of the night. Mm. I set down all of my suitcases and stuff. And I just want to have like a drink. Mm. And so my mind immediately goes towards like, what do you do once you're in this apartment? Well, this school, they knew that they were having incoming staff. So they had new apartments set aside, whether they rented them for the, the teachers or if it was, you know, they do it later. But if they have apartments set aside for you, then they usually leave a little package of coffee. Mm. They'll leave a few pots and pans. If it's not fully furnished, it depends on the school. Some schools might furnish their apartments. Yep. Well, this one, I showed up, and I just needed a few things. I needed, like, a glass of water. So there's a bottle of water. There's, like, a welcome to the, you know, welcome to Escuela Internacional. And there's, like, a, a Coca-Cola and some peanut butter and some bread. There's enough to get me through the next couple of days for snacks. Yes. But Or at least until they took us to the school for, like, the morning breakfast. Like, they had something mm. set up, or we met at a restaurant the next morning. So you arrive, and they're like, we're not going to see you for the next, you know, here's 20 hours to sleep, mm. and we'll pick you up. We're all going to take you out to dinner or breakfast or something. Meanwhile, we've stacked your refrigerator with a few essentials just to keep you started because you don't know where everything is. So there might be some milk and some cereal. There's going to be some of that... What is that terrible coffee that, that you tear apart the little thing and dump? It's instant coffee. That's like Folgers. Around the world, they have this instant coffee. It's the same coffee. everywhere, isn't it? Nescafe. Nescafe. I hate it. They're going to give you some, but they're going to have a little cup for it. But whatever, it's enough to settle in and not be going to bed hungry, not go looking for a grocery store. You don't have wheels yet. You don't know where you are. Mm, am you I may the not only even one? know how to get out of your apartment. Am I the only one who has that care package that's meant for a week eaten in one day? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, whatever it is, if they leave you something, the plan is, at least in my experience, I've yes. been very lucky that, that if it's an apartment situation, then the food has been taken care of by either they get you to a grocery store um, through the orientation. They give you a list of things you're going to do, school stuff and life stuff. Yes. Yes. Right? And I remember at a school where they just, the first thing they did was they put you together with somebody else that's been there before, that's there during the summer. Mm. Maybe they held back and they said, I'll take care of one of the new teachers. And that person took me to a grocery store in their car, took me to get a cell phone set up, taught me about the internet, gave, you know, that was just amazing. It was like a little mentor for the day. Mm -hmm. 
other schools are different. They might do it as a group where your whole group goes and gets a cell phone at the same time at the local mall. And then they go to a grocery store and they load up the entire bus with groceries for you. And you, you're you like, oh, my God, what is this language? What does that mean on the label, right? You don't know these things. It's an, it's an event. So some of yep. the teachers, hopefully, that you're going to be teaching with that are seasoned from that school mm. will also be there to meet with you. But it's that's maybe or maybe not. We don't you know. You know, I think... I think this period of time, this onboarding process can be the most exciting. It can also be the hardest, depending on how the school organizes it. But for me, it's always been the most exciting time. It's been the time where you're learning a new country, uh, learning everything from scratch, getting to know people. I had a mentor when I arrived here at the school that we're at, and that person has been sort of my quasi-mentor ever since then. They even, even this many years later, I still have questions for them. So I think for me, it's always very exciting. I always enjoy uh, rolling into a new country. I remember small things that you wouldn't even think about, how to use the key in the lock, how to turn the light on, what you can plug in and what you can't plug in. Don't plug in your favorite electrical device until you know what's coming through those wires. So you're learning from somebody that's already been through it. Yeah, that's right. And uh, uh, a good school will pair you up. They'll already have someone in mind for you. And they'll think about you know, Greg's a single guy. Let's get him hooked up with a single guy because he's going to teach Greg about the things that single people do. Kent's a, a married guy with cats. Let's get him a married guy with cats to mentor him. Well, and I'll never forget, this is my favorite story of onboarding process. Here's my favorite story. I got hired for Venezuela uh, from Cambodia, right? So I was going from the country of Cambodia. I was going to the country of Venezuela, in the summertime, I told them I was going to arrive in Venezuela a little bit early before everybody else, just to drop off luggage. And then I was going to go to the States, like my little repat, and then come back. But I just wanted to drop things off, get a lay of the land, say hi, see the school, and then maybe get an idea of for, since I was going back to the U.S., I could get a feel for a few things I might want to mule back for myself, right? I might want to get X, Y, Z and put it like toilet paper, and put it in my suitcase before I came back to Venezuela. And it was a unique opportunity. So during that summer, my my superintendent, I loved this guy. He's awesome, all right? So so Mike is his name. And I won't say his last name on, on the podcast, but Mike meets me at the airport, just Mike. And he says, welcome to Cambodia, right? I mean, excuse me, welcome to Venezuela. Bienvenidos, right? And he picks me up at the airport. He drops my stuff off at my apartment, gives me a look at it, and says, there's the car that you bought. I'm like, yeah, there's the <laughs> car that I bought unseen. <laughs> there's, that, there's that car. He's like, but listen, I've got this all set up. Why don't you sleep for a couple hours, and as soon as you wake up, give me a call. Probably in the evening, I'll, I'll check in on you. Uh, I've got a, one, of the school, one of the school board members going to meet with us. We're going to go out, and we're going to get some food. And I said, oh, okay, this sounds great, you know? <laughs> and, I mean, it was the superintendent of the school. There really wasn't anybody else there that summer. But the superintendent met me by himself at the airport. He's the one that had hired me. He's like, here you are. And boom, sets me into my apartment. I just sort of crash, just drop everything and crash for a couple hours. And then, then he's, next thing I know, he's knocking at the door. So he and I and the school board member, we went to... 
he, we get in his car and they're like, Greg, we figured you're coming from Cambodia and you've been around the world, you know, you like street food. And I'm like, yeah, I love street food. So we go to this little street vendor down the road that's just like parked, not even in a parking lot or anything. It's at the end of the side of the side of the side road, right? In the barrio, so it's like way off over here. And it's this guy that just makes fantastic empanadas and local food, right? And they had, I can't even remember exactly what it was, but you're, you're eating street food. Most people don't eat street food right when they get to a country. They usually ease into it, right? But these guys knew, and both of them were really neat, neat people to talk to. You know, they, he, Mike, he, Mike had been there for a while. The, the, the other person had been there for a long time, too, and actually was from Venezuela. So what I was doing was I was hanging out with two people that really knew what they are doing, they knew my history. They said, let's go and have some street food. I'm like, sweet, you know, <laughs> bring on the beers. I don't even think we did beers, but we did have local street food vendor stuff. And I went back to that street vendor multiple times afterwards because it was really good food. I don't recommend that for somebody else that hasn't been overseas very long, you know. But I was coming from one third world country to another. Mm. So my iron stomach at the time was perfect. At the end of all of that short stay, I got an idea, and it worked really well. I came in with the cohort later on, didn't say much, but, you know, I had already been there, but I fit in well with the new incoming teachers, and we all sort of grew together as a cohort was what they call them. And the few teachers that came in that year, I was glad that I came back at the same time they did because being there beforehand would have segregated me, and this is a lot of fun. But that was a very extreme answer because it's from one country to another, and it was ahead of time. It was in July, and I was very it was pretty seasoned kind of travel at the time. But I thought I'd share that one story with you because the street food man usually you're being treated to like the the best of the best, right? In Egypt, when I arrived in Egypt, and all of us arrived together, the first night they take us out to this huge. Um, this huge uh, restaurant, which is on the river, okay? So you are in Cairo. You are on the, what's the name of the river? You're right on the, you're right on the? Nile. Nile. (laughs) Oh, no, Tigris Euphrates, probably. No, it's the, you're right on the Nile. It's like, boom, you're on the Nile. Like a a brain fart. Hmm. You're on the Nile on a riverboat. I didn't know that they had cement, like, post keeping them there. You know, it was terrible, but... I remember the first night we went out to eat, and there was like 20 of us. They took us to this huge restaurant, mm. posh place, right? And I ordered two things off the menu. It's like, I'm just going to grab two quick things. And what I didn't know, when they brought them back, one of them was parakeet. Two ah. little parakeets <laughs> in this little... It was this little gravy boat, right? And then I looked into the into this little gravy thing, and there's these two little lumps inside the gravy, and I couldn't I couldn't read Arabic. It wasn't in English, and I was like, whatever. So I tried one and put it in my mouth, and it's like this crunchy, crunchy. I'm eating the bones. I'm like, this is, and I just sort of pushed it aside and said, anybody want my other 
Parakeet? Parakeet. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I think I just drank beers after that. <laughs> it was terrible. Wow. But it was one of the, a different situation. Mm. In Egypt, our group was brought together as a cohort. We went out to a huge restaurant. Oh, I love the onboarding process at schools, even though not all of them are the same. Each one's a little bit different. It's challenging sometimes, right? Exciting in all ways because that's when the they let you know how to go grocery shopping, how to get your internet, how to open your door if you need to because keys are different around the world. There's a lot of little things that they take care of, and you know why they do it? They take care of you in your time of change because you're going through a huge, whether you know it or not, you're going through a huge session of culture shock. So the things like the only real place that you feel sort of at home is probably in your classroom, mm -hmm. right? I'm in my classroom. I feel I'm a teacher. I know what to do. And, of course, all the things going on. But in your apartment and outside your apartment, you've got grocery stores. You've got a phone you can't figure out. Maybe your water heater is different. Those things have to be taken care of by somebody else to get you through that first couple of weeks. And I think the other thing to remember is that they've been through the same thing that you've been through, and they know what you're going through. And for me, I remember there was a problem with my shipment. It got destroyed in the rain, and I was really upset about many of my things not making the journey uh, intact. And one of the other teachers just took me aside and said, listen, this is a problem now, but in three months it's going like, uh, to seem like a lifetime ago. And sure enough, it's true. Sure enough, I think that those teachers who have been around, those administrators who have been around, who could teach you the best places to eat street food, the best restaurants, can teach you all the things that you need to know, uh, they're invaluable. They're invaluable, and they're going to help you, I think, uh, physically, materially, spiritually, philosophically. It's uh, Seek people out like that. If your school doesn't uh, facilitate that relationship, Find it and build it yourself, and then you and I are in a position now to offer those things to, to new people. And we're offering them now because we want people to know about these, that mm -hmm. they exist. These are not things you'd no normally ask about. But if I was going in a position, I was interviewing for a new school, mm -hmm. I might see on there that says housing is not furnished, right? Maybe sometimes they say that. Housing is not furnished, yep. but we give you a stipend. My first question then would be, when I arrive... Is there is there a process? Are we held up? Are we being put up in a in a hotel? Yep. Are you putting the whole cohort into a hotel? Because I've done that mm. in Cambodia. They put me in a hotel for a week, and extended that week for two weeks. I for some people, depending on their situation, but they set us up with uh, what do you call apartment hunters or what do you call them the the people I've never bought a house before but when uh, the you go brokers maybe a broker I what else do you call them you you go and look at a house a uh, real estate agent thank you I couldn't <laughs> think of the word a real even though my buddies are real okay real estate agents they had them for apartments for us mm. and in in schools where they don't furnish your apartment or give you an apartment right that you have to look for your own and do your own dealing can you imagine landing in Cambodia where they speak Khmer and having to to just not even knowing where the grocery store is, but having to go and find an apartment that you don't even know where the school is. How do you get how do you get to school from the hotel? How would you find an apartment unless you had help? So in that case, if they are a school that only supports with stipend for their living, you might want to ask them about the onboarding process. 
you might also want to ask how far your stipend's going to go. Well, yeah, cost of living is my yeah, is it six hundred and ten dollars a month, six hundred and fifty dollars a month? Is that supporting half of my apartment complex, uh, half of my complex rent, mm-hmm. or is it a quarter of it? Or what historically, what was it? That's a great question. Yeah, yeah. I could talk to you forever, but you know what we have to do? What do we have to do? We have to stop. We have to stop. What about our hundred listeners that? Somehow I've taken how many we actually have and multiplied it by four. What about our 100 listeners? Won't they be disappointed if we end now? I think, I don't think so. I think we've given them, I th- I've given you a, an idea of some of the things to look forward to for onboarding. Mm. And I'd almost like to push this to part two because I have so many stories like the woman that disappeared after two days. <laughs> I swear to God, one woman lasted for two days at a school and just hauled off and left didn't tell anybody. I want to tell that story later sometime. So look forward to part two. Right. You know, there's other things to be said about onboarding and arriving in a country, what schools could do for you as an international teacher here on International Teacher Podcast with Kent the Cat Guy. Standing in for Matt and Greg Lemoyne, the single guy. And from now on, I'm just going to say Kent and Greg and Matt. I think that's that's what we need to start doing here. It's become a real process. Till the next time. Love it, guys. Thank you. Thank you.